0: You may see a picture of an otter up there. It comes from an article. Over spring break, my husband and I took three boys to the zoo. So if you're a mama or if you're a mama of three boys, you will like this. (laughs) And we were happily chased, where we happily chased peacocks around and marveled at the length of giraffes' tongues as we fed them from paper cups. We also happened by the otter's cage, just as a zookeeper was preparing to feed them, holding a bucket of fish Just out of reach of the others, of the otters, she removed one to a side room, then began feeding the three left and explained, these are three male otters. They beg and eat as if they are starving, but they aren't. Notice that as soon as they get their fish, they retreat to a private area to protect their food from getting snatched by their brothers. Sure enough, as each has given a fish. They ran to separate corners and promptly masticated their food, smacking loudly, pieces of fish flying, eyes darting around. The zoo keeper continued. We have to remove the mom otter for a private feeding, otherwise her sons would take all the food. And I'm sure I thought to myself, and all her sanity as well. Somehow, this all seemed vaguely familiar. With three growing boys, I have an ever-increasing grocery bill, and my name to them is not Mom, but rather Mom, can I have something to eat? After dinner, there is typically a requested second round of dinner, followed by a denied request, and for a third round of din- dinner, and subsequent subsequent claims of starvation. <laughs> Now, rather than doling out fish, I'm more like a lion tamer in the ring, constantly feeding off hungry tummies. At the zoo that day, I was a bit jealous of the mom otter removed from the fish snackers for a peaceful meal. It's difficult sometimes for me to understand my boy's level of need for food. When the kitchen's cleaned and closed for the evening, their constant demands can be frustrating. But in the end, I am their mother, and although I don't fully understand their needs... I want to meet them because I love my sons. The fact of the matter is that I am no different from my sons. My needs are just as compulsive for acceptance, love, purpose, rest, help. But I have lost the childlike instinct to simply ask my father for my needs to be met by him. When my sons have a need, they immediately come to me. When I have a need, I veer towards shame, frustration, and guilt. My boys aren't above otter-like begging, but I have somehow grown accustomed to muting my needs through an attempted self-sufficiency or berating myself over having all needs met. I'm easily frustrated by my own frailty and weakness, believing I suppose that neediness is akin to sinfulness. And I have a quote for you overhead. In fact... Neediness is the necessary first step towards relating with and enjoying God because neediness leads to dependence. And so she would go on and talk about the very names of God show that we are needy people, and you'll see that on the next slide. We all need for acceptance and belonging. God is called father of a family we've been adopted into with Christ our brother. We are we are satisfaction seekers. Jesus is called the bread of life and living water of whom we daily partake. We all need outside help to for spiritual vitality and growth. The Holy Spirit is called helper, counselor, and convictor because he enables and empowers us. We all need deliverance from the power and weight of sin, along with the shame and guilt it births. Jesus is called Savior, Deliverer, and Justifier, removing the curse of sin and making us right before God. And we all need rest and refreshment, which we find as we brush up against our physical limits. God is the Lord of Sabbath, giving rest to His saints. And so God's names, in turn, give us new names. And you'll see on the next slide, he, he changes who we are. We are no longer orphans seeking our belonging. We are adopted. We are no longer thirsty. We are forever satisfied. We are no longer condemned. We are approved. We are no longer helpless and hopeless. We are helped. The best part about the nature of God is that He doesn't be, begrudge our need. As a mother who loves her children imperfectly, I long to give my children everything I possibly give them. Here's another quote up there. As a father who loves perfectly, he gives us exactly what we need in exactly the right way. Better yet, he understands our need, having walked in our human shoes of physical limits and emotional and relational pain. In fact, our great need, the only option for us is to become like a hungry growing boy or perhaps an otter begging for its fish. Rather than focus on needs or think of ourselves silly for having them, We must let our hunger pains point to the need meter. He receives us with gladness because he knows we are the one. He receives us with gladness because we know he is the one we truly need. And so today we're going to look at the God dependent petitions. We're going to look at our physical needs, our spiritual needs, and underneath our spiritual needs, the idea of forgiveness and the idea of guidance. All right. And so we're, we're in Matthew 6. We're in 11 through 15. It goes 11 through 15. I'm going to put 14 and 15 underneath 12 when we go through with it because it fits on the idea of forgiveness. He begins with, give us this day our daily bread, and we start with, give us. If you walk away from here not remembering anything, remember this. We are a dependent people. We are dependent on God to give us Everything we need. Everything. As my children, for the most part, depend on me for most things. God gives us everything. You could state it like this everyone, everyone in the entire world depends on God for all things. Where do you get this idea, Judd, of everyone? Well, if you were to just flip back to Matthew five forty five, it says, For he makes his son. Rise on the evil and on good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Rain came through yesterday. It didn't just rain at my house. It wasn't just raining over the Rumleys. It wasn't just raining over the Daly's house. It was raining everywhere because God gives everyone everything. We are dependent. In fact, Acts says it like this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. So always remember, beloved, when we go and we serve God, we're not serving because he's up there going, man, I hope Brumley brings it today because I really need him down there. He doesn't need anything since he himself, here's the key phrase, phrase, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath. And There's that last word on the cloud there. Everything. He made from one man, that is Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place. Why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet, He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being Even as some of your own prophets have said, we are indeed his offspring. And what I italicized and colored there for you is Paul, when he's talking in Athens, is saying, even your own poets say this. He's borrowing their language. Doesn't mean he endorses the poet, Epimenides or whoever it might be. But what he's saying is, you even get this. The whole world gets this. We are a dependent people. And we depend on God. So if the first point is this, we are dependent people. You go to the next phrase in this, give us this day, go back one, this day, our daily bread. We are dependent upon God every day. Give us this day our daily bread or literally our bread for tomorrow. We are dependent on God every day for the barest of needs. In the New Testament, the context of this, the people were to go get their daily bread, much like you see it in some countries across the world. They would go day to day to the market to get their bread. And they had enough just for that day. And they made enough food just to buy for what was for the day. So a day missed at work or a cro- a bad crop, people were next to starving. We don't get this. We go into city market. And if uh, we we often just go past the day old bread, I mean, we want the freshest stuff. Not my wife. She'll get the day old bread because she knows it's cheaper and it's just as good, but we don't get this. Maybe, I think maybe those in the farming industry have a bit more connection to this than most of us because they're dependent on, they, they need that rain yesterday, their approach to that rain yesterday. And maybe my approach to that rain is a little different because they're like, we, we need this because of all the water rights and everything. And they, they, they see when all there's a bunch of snow up Valley, they're, they're reading the article uh, about all the water sports that are excited for for the for the for the water that'll come down they're saying yeah now we can have food and our animals can have water nevertheless we are still in need of god's daily grace hebrews 3, 1, 1, 3 says jesus upholds the world by the word of his power that i'm not given one more breath than god has allotted for me And Paul and James agree with Jesus on this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For he who sees everything different in you, what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. If you then received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Paul's saying everything you have is a gift. James said it like this in James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If I have food, it's because God has been good to me and given me food. I have a wife, it's because Proverbs says, he who has a wife has a good thing and finds favor from the Lord. I have kids. Psalm 127, you'll hear that this summer, is a blessing from the Lord. Everything that we have is a gift. Everything. And what's really interesting is when you see someone go through some hard times in life and they say and they look back not in the middle of it maybe but they look back and they go you know what god gave me that and at first i didn't see it but i i I thank him because he got me through it and maybe not the situation was the gift but his grace to get through it people look back on those things Fortunately for me in my life, I've not had much, um, in the way of some people in the Christian church who've, uh, who've had to swim across rivers. I remember talking to a man from, um, Romania escaping communism and escaping because he was standing for the truth and bullets being fired and he's swimming across a river. I've never really experienced that. Basically in my life, I've lost my father at a, at a young age. And I wouldn't say that the death of my father is a gift, but I would say God's grace in what he showed me through that and after that is. Even here, we've our family's had a wonderful seven years. There's a couple of years on the front end that were tough, but I wouldn't trade them for anything. I wouldn't be who I was today. I would probably be um, in need of change <laughs> had I not had those two years. So God is good. And he doesn't change. And he gives us what we need. Those are our physical needs. And so when it comes to your physical needs, pray for them. In fact, we, when we pray for them, really we should praise for them. Thank you that I get to go to City Market and choose from a variety of things. Uh, we went just this last week and, and there's not just vanilla ice cream, but there's rice-based vanilla ice cream for those who are dairy-free that tastes similar. I'm not going to say it's the same. (laughs) But there's there's a whole section of ice cream. God gives us more than we need. and So maybe we should praise Him the next time. The next time, this is a good one, whoever does the meal planning in your house, the next time you're making a list. Father, thank you. Yes, I have to go get milk, but thank you that you provide us milk and thank you that life for us today doesn't look like it is for some and then that should lead you to pray for those who, who it doesn't look the same when when you see city market or wherever you go you would pray for those lord i pray for those in other parts of the world that don't have such a variety of milk bread and just the daily necessities pray for everything we'll talk more about that next week when it says do all in pray without ceasing but Pray for whatever you need. Now, I often use this when I'm talking on the Lord's Prayer. Praying for what we need is not like, Oh Lord, I really would like that new Honda Ridgeline. Um, I need that, Lord. That Chevy, um, Chevy F-150. Is that Chevy F-1? Ford F, Ford, excuse me. I'm trying to, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to discriminate against brands here. Ford F-150. The Chevy, whatever that is. Silverado. I need one of those, Lord. That would be so... I have no place to park it, but that's what I, I would need. Probably not. You can pray about it, but that's probably not what you need. Those are physical needs. Jesus said, in a, if you have food and clothing, you should be content. But greater than that is our spiritual need. So He moves from, give us this day our daily bread... And forgive us our debts as, notice as, not because, this is where words are key. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He's not, Jesus is not compromising salvation here. He's not saying it's through works. This is correlation, not causation. He says, we forgive as we've been forgiven. It's not we forgive so that we can be forgiven. And so we not only have physical needs, but we have spiritual needs. And he's talking to to his disciples. So I don't think he's talking about the salvific forgiveness that comes upon us, bowing our knees and following Jesus. I think this is forgiveness for sins. I don't have this up on the overhead, but I think it's similar to First John. He spends his whole first chapter. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus we just sang about. So fun. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yet if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I think that's what John in biblical theology picks up on in his first epistle. And then he waits for the end to talk more about forgiveness, but I'm going to talk about it here. Verses 14 and 15 for if you forgive others, their trespasses, your father, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you will do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now your forgiveness is not dependent on your forgiving others. This is similar to what James says. Faith without works is dead. That does not mean the works save you. Okay. Okay. Works do not save you. The works, faith without works, is dead. It means the works are evidence of your salvation. So too, he says, if you forgive others, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. He's saying, if you're not a forgiving person, chances are you are not saved. If you do not know how to forgive, I'll tell you, there's two things in my life that that are really the um, kind of, these are, Shibboleths. These are these are things that if I hear this come out of people's mouth, I'm wondering: Do you really know Jesus? Two things is just when people lie, that 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 is so satanic. I don't get it. I don't. That as the fathers of a, when lying back in the day when the kids were young, that would get them disciplined. Physical violence and lying because we are not like Satan. We're not of our father, the dither. Lying and then unforgiveness. I've been in counseling meetings and there are people to this day who have not, quote, forgiven me for some sin that happened in a meeting. And just the sheer unforgiveness makes me go, do you know Jesus? There's not one thing I can do to you that you should say, well, I won't forgive. If I've repented... You must forgive. If you don't forgive, Jesus is pretty clear. Your Father in heaven won't forgive you, probably because you've never been forgiven in the first place. Forgiveness is huge. And this is something we're weak on in the church. That we should, when somebody comes to me and says, I I just need to ask for your forgiveness. You shouldn't be really quick to write that off because maybe the Holy Spirit's at work and you go, okay. And you listen and you go, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. But there, there's this aspect of the vertical forgiveness that we we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We'll see that in Ephesians 4.32, if you wanted to show that right there. Well, Matthew 18.35 says, when we forgive, we do it from the heart. It's not just a mere formality. We do it from the heart. Does your heart really forgive? In Ephesians 4.32, we should forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Amen. And we're really good at, so, well, I've, I've, I've left that, but as I was talking to someone earlier, there's a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship, and forgiveness extends both of those. Absolutely, we say, God, I forgive them, but we need to be a forgiving people to one another. What happens, though, is we, we become offended, and sometimes rightly so, sometimes not rightly so, but we become offended, and all of a sudden now we're the arbiter and dispenser of grace that we're not going to forgive people. And we should be the most forgiving people on the planet. I know myself. If somebody's ever sinned against me and they they come to me and say, hey, please forgive me, no problem. Because I know where I've come from. I know who I am. And I don't get to sit there and be unforgiving and, and put qualifications. Now, if they're unrepentant, Luke 17 has some things to say about that. But that's another sermon for another day. But the idea here is if you're not a forgiving person, you're not extending grace to others, the question would be, have you ever been forgiven? Have you ever been forgiven? So then we move from forgiveness into guidance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now some manuscripts add, and if, if you've got an ESV, it's probably a note 1 to 4 on your page, and you look down and you see some scriptures add, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you have a New American Standard, it's probably in brackets. I think that may be on the next slide there. Uh, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is in the footnote in the ESV. It's in brackets in the NAS because probably, though it is absolutely true, God's is the kingdom, God's is the power, God's is the glory forever. It's much like the end of Mark, Mark uh, 16, 9 through 20. It's a latter addition. It was probably added to help in liturgical prayer. It is absolutely true, um, but it's probably not there in the original. Here's the key. Because of His power and glory and kingdom, God would never lead us into temptation like... um, he had an option. God, God can't cause us evil. Nobody, God doesn't tempt. God tests. He doesn't tempt. And so this is the idea that he is, he is wanting us to be delivered from evil. And so we're, it's a polite request. Lord, whatever there is out there that you know Satan knows my hot buttons, please don't put me in those circumstances. And if you do, help me to get out of those. If, if I do walk up in your providence upon a situation I don't want to be in, give me that way of escape. You see that in 1 Corinthians uh, ten thirteen, No temptation has overtaken you, as is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Here's the key. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may endure it. So God, when, it, when we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and incidentally, the, the, that is probably more, deliver us from the evil one, not that he removes us from the world, but he, he keeps us safe within it. God, in every temptation, offers a way of an escape. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10.13. We can never, ever say, don't ever, ever say, Oh, I was so tempted, but I didn't have a way out. Not according to the Scriptures. Not according to the Scriptures. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is as common to man. And understand, when it says that, this, I, I always want to say this during this verse 13 here. You're not, you I'm going to say this two ways. You are special. I love all you. You are special. You're made in the image of God, saved by the grace of God. You're special. But you're not that special. that you, You're like, oh, you should see the temptations that come to me. No. No temptations overtaking you as such as is common to man. We're all tempted. It's common to us. So it's not like, oh, I'm the only one. If you only knew what I was going through. No, I, I think there are many who are going through the same thing. God is faithful. So this one who will not lead us in temptation, how does he not lead us into temptation? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He knows exactly how far you can go. But with the temptation, notice this, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I would be off if I didn't take you to the very next verse. Therefore, my beloved, flee. Flee. Here's how I've stated this. God has so designed this world that the answer to this prayer, lead us not into temptation, includes our responsibility. <laughs> He's provided the way of escape. Flee. What are we to flee from? What are the temptations that you and I are to flee from? Just in, I'm sticking in Corinthians. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin commits, a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality a person sins against his Flee that. Oh, that is just so rampant in our culture. Flee it. Flee, don't flirt. Flee. Flee means, go back to the Greek, means to run and go the exact opposite direction at a quick pace. Would you like me to demonstrate? I'm just kidding. I won't do it. (laughs) My son's like, yes, do it. I could have Gavin sprint. Flee Gavin. Anywho, you flee sexual immorality. You, in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, carrying on, you flee idolatry. Oh, this is a hard one for us because idolatry is so subtle in our day and age. It's not the little wooden guy, but things quickly become idols to us. Good things can become idols to us. Paul's saying flee that. First Timothy six eleven and 12, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And I love this picture here. It shows an arrow of fleeing. You're moving away from something and pursue righteousness, godliness, godliness, faith, love, and steadfastness and gentleness. You're going somewhere else. You're always, people are always going to worship something. There's not like, there's these worshipers of God and then there's worshipers of all other uh, foreign gods, false gods, and then there's this group of people in the middle. I'm so educated. I don't, you know, worship anything. I'm neutral. No, you're not. You're worshiping neutrality. The God of neutrality. Really, you're either following hard after God, you're pursuing Him, or you're pursuing other things. There's only two ways to live. And verse 12 says this, fight the good fight of faith. So God, lead us not into temptation. we got to flee. And by the way, this isn't going to be easy. We live in a fallen world. We fight the good fight of the faith. We take hold of that eternal life to which you were called. I love this. Take hold presently of the eternal life to which you were called in the past. So there's a past aspect. We were saved and we have been uh, declared not guilty, but right now we take hold of it. To which we are called about which you've made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We flee and pursue. Second Timothy 2.22 says it like this. Similar to First Timothy, so flee youthful passions, beloved. I ask myself this: what what are what are these things? We, we're not just to pray, Lord, lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one, and just leave it. What are those youthful passions? Those things, and, and I I'm pretty sure most everyone in here is they fight their sin, but what are some of those things we've been fighting for so long? We're like, you know what? I'm just not going to fight as hard anymore on that one. No, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's really hard if you do these two verses together because 2 Timothy 2.22 I've memorized and I was mixing it up with 1 Timothy 6.11. Pursue righteousness. So how do you avoid temptation? You pursue righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Pursue faith. Pursue the things of the church. Pursue love. How can I love someone today? Start at home. How can I love my wife today? How can I love my kids today? How can I love my neighbor today? I, I, my neighbor was pulling out a stump yesterday, and we drove by and we were talking. I got in the house. I'm like, I should have asked him if he needed any help. I go look out the window. He's done. But the thought is pursue that. Pursue peace. And you do it. Notice you do this not by yourself. No lone ranger Christians. We do this along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. We're in this together. We are not only dependent upon God, we are dependent upon one another. That God wants us to flee temptation. We pray to Him, absolutely, but we flee. So here's a summary of the four things. If you look at the prayer in whole... Give us this day our daily, God give us, provide us what we need. And He does so much more, doesn't He? Doesn't He give us more than we, we need? And so much more. And, and we, we're speaking from a certain context here and we're not, we're not forgetting our brothers and sisters who are in other parts of the world that don't have what we have. But I'm speaking to you. This is contextualized for Eagle Bible Church on April 24th, 2016. God give us what we need and He does so much more. He does so much more. And sometimes he does things, you're just like, what did, What just happened? So last week, one of the guys who's going to be preaching this summer said, hey, do you have that commentary? I said, no, uh, I should have it Monday. And and it didn't come Monday. But I got a text. "Your Your order has been refunded. I haven't refunded my order. Then I get another text. The other part of your order has been refunded. Haven't done that either. So call them and they say, yeah, we're sorry. This is so mixed up. And I said, well, let, there's there's this one email out here that says it may come today. Let me just see if it comes. So this big box comes. Praise the Lord. They are here. I go out. It's a little lighter, but these are smaller commentaries. I go out, and he's already laughing. I open the box. I ordered 10 commentaries. I, I got 10 Dog chew toys. And and I'm sitting there going, what in the world? Okay. So do they get online, get the whole resend, you know, the return authorization sticker that I'm going to put on there. Reason, I didn't order dog chew toys. I ordered books. (laughs) Take that to the UPS drop off the next day. And here's the point of this. You're like, where's he going with this? The next day I get another email. Sir, we have refunded you. Basically, I got a double refund again. And I call them back and I said, this is getting out of hand. <laughs> How many refunds are you going to give me? And they're like, you know what? This, this order has been botched. Yes, it has. Um, so I've got this refund, this refund, this refund. And, and then you've and this all adds up to what I originally ordered. What about this one? Yeah, just keep it. Just keep it. Like you're not going to send me another email that says we've refunded your refund. <laughs> we've taken back. what. I was like, cool. I get off the phone. I tell Ashley, I said, just like God sometimes. Just to give you something you don't even deserve. Probably for all that hassle I said on the phone. I don't know. But God is good like that, right? He, he gives us way more than we need. And then not only give, but forgive. Pardon what we deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve to be eternally separated from him. He is an absolute holy God. We don't deserve anything. And he gives us so much more. Jesus said, you remember, if you follow after me, I'll know it, 60 and 100 fold for those here and in the eternity that he gives us a church. We aren't just forgiven individually, but he, he's given us a church. He's given us spiritual family. He's given us friends. He's given us so much. We didn't, should be so grateful that he hasn't given us what we deserve. If I go back and I look at my life and I go, God, just give me what I deserve. I wouldn't be here today. I would be in hell. Give and forgive and lead. Give us that path you want us to walk down. And he does. He gives us so much direction and deliver us, protect our lives along the way. And he does. He may not do it always, but He does. And so you see this traditional breakdown of the Lord's Prayer. We pray, hallowed be His name, that's His glory. His kingdom come, that's God's kingdom. His will be done. And then our physical needs, our spiritual needs, and our directional need. That That is the common way people look at this. Three prayers to God, three prayers for us, that's good. But I think in light of this verse, 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one, there's another way to look at this prayer. So whether that, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat a smoothie for breakfast, you drink a cup of coffee. He's saying in all the, the mundane things of life, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so you could look at this Lord's Prayer in a different way, and I think it's a, a good way, that shows us, Everything we ask for from God fits into a bigger picture. And the more I study biblical theology, the more I see this prayer fits within a chapter, which fits within a sermon, which fits within a a book, Matthew, which fits within the Gospels, which fits within the New Testament, which fits within the Scriptures. So we get to be a part of this overarching principle of, God being glorified. How is that? Because His kingdom has come, is coming, and will come. Amen? And His will has been done, is being done, and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so now I see my physical needs are in something bigger. It's not just about me. It's about God and His glory. And it's about my spiritual need. Not only does He create me, but He recreates me in the image of His Son. And not only does He create me and recreate me, He guides me to the very end I think that's a good way to look at the prayer and so I'll end with another article this came out this week and my wife's like have you seen this article you need to read it okay it's because it dealt with the Lord's Prayer gentlemen this title of this article is called a gutsy prayer for grown men you probably admire someone in your life for <clears throat> for the love they have for Jesus you hear it in their voice. You see it in their smile. You feel it in their love for you. You know this person has communed with God personally, intimately, regularly. You assume they have a vibrant and consistent prayer life even though you've never seen their private prayers. And you wish your relationship with God it was more like this. It's obviously no surprise that Jesus' disciples experienced such closeness with him. Luke writes, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he had finished, One of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. That was four weeks ago. We can safely assume that Jesus prayed with his disciples, probably regularly. They had heard him pray, yet this was different. Teach us to pray. Really meant, tell us what happens when you're alone with God. But Jesus says in the next few verses are the boldest, the boldest and most important words to take with us into prayer. Pray then like this, and you see it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may have memorized a version of the Lord's Prayer when you were younger. It's simple enough for children to commit to memory. But we need to remember this is huge. This was this was an insight. Jesus gave this prayer to 12 grown men. This is not just a prayer for a sixth grade Sunday school, but for all of life. Jesus taught these men this simple yet awe-inspiring prayer and then set them into the world to be persecuted and eventually killed for their faith. The Lord's Prayer isn't a childhood toy to be shelved and remembered with affection. I bet you that may have been some of when we first started this series. The Lord's Prayer, I remember days when we used to repeat it at the United Methodist Church. It's not what it is. It's not for nostalgia. These are the words to be rehearsed and held with conviction through whatever we face or suffer in life until our final breath. Make yourself at home in prayer, not irreverently or carelessly, but humbly and boldly. I love this, men. Be brave enough to let your guard down with God. Let Him in all the way and watch Him care for you better than any father you've ever seen or known.